Camp. I'm Zach Powers. And this is Stage of Fools. The unofficial Royals podcast. Today we'll be doing our season two wrap up. All right, everyone, please welcome back to the show uh, the man behind the emerald curtain, so to speak. Uh, and that's our producer and friend, Darren Husted. Welcome, Darren. Hello. It's good to be back. I can't remember what the last episode I was on. Was it the start of season uh, two? Mm, I think you were on the season one finale episode, and I don't think you've been back since. Is that Yeah, correct? no, I, like I think this is your triumphant season return. two return. <laughs> mm-hmm. We always save you for a very special, a very special episode uh, where you teach us about drugs and not doing them and the birds and the bees and all that jazz um Mm -hmm. but of course you can hear it in his voice we always do love having that little extra bit of cachet with having darren here because he is an actual british person (laughs) yeah i feel it's like that song from that musical where um what is it sideshow bob sings about being an englishman i am an englishman uh, I can't remember where it's. I can't remember the proper title. I think it's based on "I Am the Model of a Marvin Major General," but uh, <laughs> yeah. yes, I know the song you're talking about. For once, other people are making musical theater references. This is very <laughs> uncommon. To be fair, technically a Simpsons reference that made a music reference, but um, Darren is English. I feel like no one on the creative side of this show is English, though some of the actors are. I'm sure. Yeah, I don't know. Um, we again, haven't no researched research. this at all. So I feel like there has to be someone on the like the location scouting side of things who is at least oh, yeah. very well versed with the whole surrounding area because they found some really good locations for shoots, if nothing else. Mm-hmm. I, was, I was just going to say, like, fr- in the to reference something that happened on the show um, in the first episode when they had about like the king owning the swans, like. That's true. So someone must have done some research at some point on the Royals about English stuff because they got one thing right, at least. Yeah. Wow. Uh, what a glowing review. Someone must have done some research at some point. English. I can't wait until next season when they bring grapes to somebody in a hospital. Yet another <laughs> proud English tradition. They'll get right. Uh, probably just these are Snapple cap facts. <laughs> probably. <laughs> All right, well, let's jump right into it. Uh, Today we're going to be talking about season two as a whole. Each week Mm -hmm. we've gone through uh, every episode of the season and kind of combed through it for these moments and these instances of absurdity. And I feel like perhaps we've neglected the fact that the show on a whole is also very absurd. And many of these storylines don't uh, come together in exactly a pleasing way. And character arcs can be uh, really all over the place. So those were Mm -hmm. kind of some of the things that I was interested in talking about today. Uh, But just to start us off broadly, when you look back on season two and you think of it as its own entity, uh, what will your your thoughts be? What were your overall impressions of this season? I'm going to throw it to our guest, Darren, first. Well, do you know what I'll say? uh, Like the first season I watched... Um, all in one go uh, after it had finished I watched it like over I think two days over a weekend I watched like a few episodes and then I finished off the next day so this time I think as both you and Zach have mentioned a few times we like all of us watched season two as it was going on the air week to yes, week yes I definitely did not let five <laughs> episodes pile up yeah 
And I feel like it was a, like a slightly different experience, like watching it week to week, because I'm going to be truthful. I hadn't noticed that Ophelia had gone missing, um, like for large portions of the season. It was only when you were oh my God. only when you were redoing it, I was like, oh yeah, she's only actually in one That's episode. But that does not speak highly <laughs> of how memorable that character is. No, but I think all the stuff with like to me, it seemed like the show was trying to broaden its base. Uh, like on the rating side, it does it does really well with like women aged. I think you can get you can get demographics for thirteen to seventeen and eighteen to thirty five, and it does well in both of those demographics. It gets really high ratings on that side, and I think this this year it felt like they were trying to like broaden it out. So all the stuff with um, you know Liam and and his friends and with Hill and with Jasper like it felt like this season got a bit more kind of like blokey if I can say that and that's kind of what stands out for me when I think Mm. about the season is obviously you had like domino stuff which is just ridiculous um but you know we can get into that but I think that to me it just it felt like they were trying to make the show appeal more to men which seemed like a really odd move for a show that's on the e-network um and, you know, so that's kind of the thing that stands out to me after watching it week to week. And then obviously, like just the the kind of the way that some of the storylines just seem to go. I, I don't want to say crazy because that kind of gives it too much credit. But, you know, stuff like in the party where, um, you know, the twins are coming out of a cake and they don't know they're in the cake. and Like weird things like that where it's like, I don't think so. Like it's like someone's just had the idea. Let's put the twins in a cake. And then it's like, how did they get there? Who cares? Just have them come out of cake. Everyone will love that. And I think there's a lot of that going on in the show where someone has got to the end point of, uh, let's do this crazy thing. Like when, when um, uh, Ted ends up in that empty house with the, a phone ringing in the middle of a room. That's, that's like a really cool, stupid moment. But then you think to yourself, how did they know to ring that phone at that moment? Like, what's going on? Why is that whole house empty? Like, it, stuff like that is like, I think this show became kind of more concerned with kind of doing like stupid stuff and not figuring out how that stupid stuff had anything to do with anything. Um, yeah. Sort of like dramatic set pieces. Yeah. Sure. Yeah. I think, I think it's an accurate description to say that's a microcosm, I guess that, that shot with the phone. Yeah. But I think it's accurate to say that the, the show became so concerned with moments that are dramatic set pieces, but when you stop to think about them on the whole, they, they just don't connect to anything and they have no arcs and they make no sense for the characters yeah. like they were so interested in getting that shot of the phone <laughs> that they forgot about the world surrounding it on a larger scale that's the root of the whole problem with the domino storyline is that it sets up all these dramatic moments that ultimately either aren't of consequence or lead to no consequences um which can be really really frustrating but yeah, uh I think this is something that Zach and I have talked about maybe a little bit more recently off air than on air. Like sometimes I wonder when I'm watching these things that seem totally disconnected from the rest of the show, like which came first, the chicken or the egg um, in terms of Mm. ideas. Like, for example, uh, Dutchie being Dominique's murder. I wondered if they had had the idea for like the video blackmail thing and then had reverse constructed the crime from there and decided they want to include Joan Collins 
Or if they decided they wanted to be Joan Collins to be like Dominique's murderer setting off this family feud. And then the absurd video blackmail plot line came from that. You know what I mean? Because yeah. either way, it makes no sense. Like forwards I mean, or backwards. I think so. Something that I, I thought of in a similar vein is that it, it seems like since the domino plot line is, at least in this full season, essentially pointless. Why didn't they just rework it, make Ted the primary and only antagonist, and maybe have a video of Cyrus confessing to killing Lacey? You already have a murder on the show. Just use that to dismantle the royal family. They don't like Duchy anyway. Why are they saving her any more than they would save Cyrus, except for that it would have effects for their family? Just as the show tried to widen its base uh, to men this year, which I agree with, because we've talked a lot about how much more um, the gaze, male yeah. gaze-related uh, the show felt this season. Like, not just the addition of male characters and these sort of bro characters, but the way the female characters were presented. Um, but I also mm. think that, and I think, this was a smart move on behalf of the show, probably at least from a ratings perspective. I felt like they spent a lot more time fleshing out the older characters this season. And I'm using that relatively because I almost called Liam and Ophelia and Eleanor the teenagers, but they're not. But what I mean is like young people and their parents. I think this season they put a little bit more focus on the parents generation side of things in order to draw in older people, like people who might be interested in Elizabeth Hurley or Joan Collins, stuff like that. So I think that that was probably the right choice, even though I thought the characterization of Helena this season was so wild was and made weird. no sense. Same with, same with the characterization of Cyrus, but I think you're right in so much as a lot of the strongest performances on the show tend to skew towards that adult side. Helena's not as good, Elizabeth Hurley, but she is, I think she is the big name draw, like, that they're landing the show upon, so it makes sense to give her more screen time for that reason, I suppose. Yeah, do you know what's interesting, though, is um, they cast uh, Lala Ruas as the Prime Minister, or Deputy Prime Minister, should I say, and... She's the acting Prime Minister now, so I yeah. just call her the Prime Minister. But she... Like she's a, that's a name like over here. She she was on like Footballers Wives for like five years. She's done like she's done stuff over here that casting her actually got the show noticed a little bit in some of like the kind of like culture sections or whatever in the newspapers over here. So like well, that it, like that is, was a is, thing. So <laughs> I, it's a, it's baffling that they then that they then barely used her like her character because it just it seems so weird that they go to the trouble of casting these actresses who's you know, kind of well known, is, and then is Footballers' Wives a reality show or like <laughs> a scripted? Okay, no, it's like a, she's an actor. It's like an. It's okay, a, I mean, I don't know. It's a nighttime soap, is what it was. Okay, and it was a very successful one. And I mean, you know, right. she's also been on like um, Spooks and Holby City and Sarah Jane Adventures. Like she's done stuff. She's not like no one. Okay. But it's just, it's super weird that they then just basically did nothing with her. Like, you go to the To be fair, of... every British actor is a part of the Doctor Who universe in <laughs> some true. way. Yeah. Hearing that she was on true. Sarah Jane Adventures is probably the least surprising thing that I've heard. Yeah. Yeah. Um, um, but, I, like, so, but... I, I mean, talking a little bit about, like, the, the male gazy stuff, like, when they cast Violet and they used Keely Hazel, 
Keely Hazel is literally only known as a, a glamour model over here. That's literally... She's not an actress. So when they were casting her, they were casting her because she looks good in what apparently is the standard royals palace like outfits for the for the that is shocking to me based on her posture she must have just been uncomfortable acting perhaps because she had her shoulders hunched her head down and when she would walk in heels she would like shuffle uneasily from foot to foot i would have never in a million years guessed that she was a model not that she's not a gorgeous girl because oh absolutely is oh no no shannon wow I i i said she was a glamour model what do you mean she only it's a glamour model. Glamour model is a polite way of saying she does topless photos. <gasps> I thought you meant she was like uh like a cover girl, like magazine uh print. That's why I was like, <laughs> why can't she why isn't she holding herself with more with a more runway model bearing? Oh, okay. No, I no, didn't know she... that was a euphemism. No. We don't call it that in America. I can promise you that. <laughs> No, I've never heard that before. Okay, good. It's not just me. <laughs> she basically oh, no. she made she made her name she made her name on page three of the Sun. So, um, you know, she was cast for one reason and one reason only, and that was to bring um, her fans who know her from that to this show. Well, that explains a lot. Yeah. That explains a lot. Okay. Yeah. All right. Well, this is why it's good that we eventually, once in a while, we touch base with an English person who clues us in. It does make me wonder a little bit about this show's performance in England, because I do feel like very few Americans would recognize most, if any, of these people, like, on site or just recognize even their names if they casually heard them uh if i were inclined in a position where i could do research for this show <laughs> maybe i'd look up how it oh, did in Zach's england gonna as go compared... do some research on the new terminology we've learned oh, i have sure. to fill three months <laughs> somehow i guess um yeah I, I i've seen billboards over here for it um like being advertised and i've seen like um you know like i've what seen network it's there is the, there's there is an e over here there's an e network over here oh. that shows um it's not quite the same as the e network over there but it does show um uh, it does show like the reality stuff that e has um but you know not all of it and it, it kind of has like um you know repeats of like british shows that it puts on um but yeah that like the royals got at, like when it when the first series was on and also when the second series came on which um, you know, it was about three or four months after it. Had, I think it. I think actually the sec the second series started on UK TV as you started podcasting the second series, so it was like slightly delayed. Um, but it, mm. you know, I saw it advertised on other TV channels, and you know, so it got some publicity. Uh, I don't know how well it did in the ratings because I'm not sure that the E Network is a particularly like you know highly viewed network. But uh, you know, the fact that they've they've cast. You know, some particularly in the second season, the fact that they, uh, they you know, they made Joan Collins more prominent. You know, they they added um, Rocky Marshall, who plays James Hill, who again is an actor who's done a lot of like um, you know British TV stuff. Uh, oh yeah, even I recognized him. Yeah, because he has a very memorable face, and I'm like, I've definitely seen him in things. Yeah, so the fact that they've gone to the trouble of. You know, casting like Keely Hazel and stuff. It's like they they were clearly trying to do something for the British audience, 
Um, but I, it, it just—it seems like with most of their characters, I think you know Hill was out of the new characters. Hill was the one that was the like most fully realized. But everyone else, they like all the other characters, just seem to kind of like wander in and and kind of do a few episodes and then wander off. And I was like, I don't know why those people were there. <laughs> Uh, yeah, well, yeah, almost every other one of the characters was a new characters was a temporary romantic foil. I can only think of like maybe one other exception besides Hill, who well, obviously, let's... obviously Hill had a role to fill. He was replacing uh, Simon in a lot of ways. So yeah. let's talk new characters. Who do we think of the new bat? The new batch, so to speak. <laughs> um, who do we think is going to be back next season? Do we think we'll see anyone return from the first season? Uh, generally, what are your thoughts? Which of the new characters do you think we've seen the last of? Have maybe gotten the permanent boot? With all of our predictions, I want to give the disclaimer that if we're wrong, it's not because our <laughs> predictions aren't good. It's because the show isn't good about following through. Uh-huh. I, I, um, I mean, I'm going uh, to guess Ted's gone, so Ted's wife is gone. Ted's gone. He's been ripped apart limb from limb. He's <laughs> yeah. been torn apart by the mob, as we've said. I think we have definitely not seen the last of Dominique Jr. No. And I think the only way to salvage anything anything from the domino plot line is to involve dominique jr with liam slash get her more involved in the world of the royals yeah otherwise that whole plot line has been for absolutely nothing like truly for nothing not that i'm looking <laughs> forward to liam having yet another young girl you know encouraging young girl love interest but i just think that's the only way through this so if if you think dominique jr is gonna be back which is Probably not a terrible bet. I'd actually prefer if Genevieve came back. I like, I like Genevieve better, more. or Willow, or um, whatever the fuck her name is. Who cares? Wilhelmina. Uh, her name's Wilhelmina. <laughs> it's Wilhelmina? Yeah, that's her name, is Wilhelmina. Fuck. <laughs> Genevieve. Just um, has no clue. Genevieve's the actress's name. Genevieve Gaunt um, is the actress. Um, okay. she, um, she was in um, she was but, Pansy Parkinson in uh, Harry Potter. That we know now. Yeah. Yeah. We did not know when she <laughs> entered the show. She was also, she um, was also in um, Lost in Austin, which was like a, a show from like eight years ago that was about. Um, oh yeah, that's a fun show. Yeah, so you know it's okay. <laughs> but do you do you think if Dominic Junior's back, are you going to assume also that that Jeff? is going to come back. Oh, because... I thought I thought you were going to ask me about Genevieve slash Wilhelmina coming back, and I was going to say my answer to that question would be, if Ophelia comes back, Wilhelmina no. will be gone. If Ophelia doesn't come back, Wilhelmina will stick around, because the show, like all, like all good soap operas, loves love triangles, and I have no doubt Ooh. that Liam will have more than one romantic interest. But as for uh, Jeff, Jeffrey, aka Deep Throat, as we called him for a while. <laughs> uh, I think if Dominique Jr. comes back and the whole idea of like feuding households is pursued at all, then they have to bring him back because he and his daughter are the only two members of Domino. The only two. I... That's what a poor job they've done setting up this organization. Oh, yeah. I think what they need to do for. Now, this is something that I think they should have done this year was. Um, we, you know, we had the storyline with um, Moorfield, who is, um, I believe on the show they call him an anti-monarchist, but the correct phrase would be a Republican. 
Um, he, <laughs> in America, that means something so different. Yeah, I know. So that's why I mm-hmm. guess they didn't use it. But it, if they if they'd had him, um, like him trying to bring down the monarchy on behalf of Domino, and if you know um, he he had been um, running against the prime minister and trying to you know oust her from her position, that would have used those t- characters in a more interesting way because. You know, yeah. you would, that would have, have used those characters. Well, well period. yeah, but you you would have yes. you would have you would have had a reason for both of those those characters to be there. But also, you would have been able to bring the kind of domino story into the whole. Well, the, you know, and that seems even more circuitous than it needs to be. I feel like you could just directly connect the prime minister to the domino conspiracy. She already hates the royal family, so just directly connect the person who's already in power yeah in the problem is though is government. if you do if you do that then you have you have everyone going against the monarchy you need you need someone within the government that the monarchy can be manipulating against the anti-monarchists so you so you need someone on their side and you know she she likes liam so <laughs> so she's yeah. she's not well, totally against the monarchy um, it's interesting that you would bring that up because I was thinking about this today. Uh, and the reason I was thinking about it was I was thinking about how the show should, if it wants to do something kind of that feels epic and Shakespearean while at the same time, uh, you know, they've solved the Hamlet thing at this point because we Simon's killer has been found and his death has been avenged to an extent. And I was thinking about the story taking cues from either Richard the Third or King Lear, and I was thinking about how much more interesting it would have been this year if instead of Violet being just some maid, if she had been the daughter of someone with like political power or a title or land, and Cyrus had married her and killed her off, like Richard the Third and Lady Anne Neville. Yeah. Um. To, he marries her to gain power, and then he has he kills her, and that would have been so much more interesting. But uh, Violet was just a maid. And then I started thinking about how the problem is, and this ties into what Darren's talking about, needing to have someone, you know, in the... It's like we need more characters. The, sh- the show, the characters kind of exist in a vacuum of each other and then, like, the commoners. Like, there's uh, the royals, the a little bit of palace staff, and then everyone else is kind of, like, extras who drift in and out. They could do so much more of this, like, House of Cards type stuff they're trying to pull with the domino organization and the anti-monarchists and movements within the government if there were, you know, uh, to use an old-fashioned word, courtiers. If there were other people invested in the survival of the monarchy besides just the royal family. If there were more politicians who had interesting personalities or things to do. It, it seems like... When we get new characters, we're not getting them in the right places, the places of the world the show needs to fill out. We're just getting more, like, random hotties, you know? (laughs) I just, I I think maybe the show doesn't know how to juggle being that grand, like a House of Cards or a Game of Thrones or something like that. I just... And still retain that soapy, this is a fam, like family drama aspect. What I think could maybe be it's more just something soapy they, the writers... court intrigue, though, you know what I mean? Like, yeah. courtly intrigue, some sort of modern version of that would be totally in keeping with the show's idea that, like, oh, the monarchy has so much power and they're so important if we had, like, some, you know, ladies-in-waiting uh, type 
women around to help flesh out the show with women who aren't prostitute maids or, <laughs> you know, some politicians who maybe their shift alliances from the royals to Moorfield's party and then back again. And then the prime minister gets involved with one of them. You know, it just it gives the show more avenues to go down while staying connected to things that are important to the characters. Well, the concept of, of shifting alliances and something you said earlier about Violet and because we were talking about this makes me wonder, do you think that Violet will turn up alive yes. in the next season? Yes. Because, yeah, I would assume so, too. I, uh, There's I not would, a doubt in my mind. I would only say yes based on the fact that they went to the trouble of casting Keely Hazel and then kind of gave her almost next to nothing to do. <laughs> so We never mm -hmm. saw a body either. Yeah. Never they saw specifically said they didn't find one. Yeah. Yes. That's, that's always, I, you know, uh, particularly, particularly in a show like this, if you don't see the body, as we found out in the very last yeah. moments, then that With person Robert. is definitely not dead. Well, I would even say, even if the writers don't know that she's definitely not dead, they just want to leave the door open. Yeah, they sure. always want to leave the door open, if possible. Like... That is so the case with Ophelia, although my theory is that she had an agreement just to take this season off and then come back um, because of scheduling conflicts. Which is total just a guess on my totally just a guess on my part, but it seems like they did a lot of things at the beginning of the season and then in the season finale with like all the mentions of Ted's daughter and Eleanor finding out who her father's killer was and saying, <laughs> Ophelia's father, Ted? <laughs> Makes me feel like they purposely tried to keep her a at least a little bit there in the audience's mind. Although I think they may have gone a smidge too far because Wilhelmina is just like unbelievably a sassier version of Ophelia mm -hmm. and they look like they could be sisters. It's kind of hysterical. They, they did actually like in terms of the like shooting schedule for this, they did start the second season like really, really quickly. Like the fact that they fit, they went off the air in May and they were back by November, like in the space of, in the space of, a, of 12 months, they put out two seasons. So it might have just been that the there were other commitments that she had and she couldn't come back for the second season. But I do agree. It does, that's, it does seem... For, that's my theory. Yeah, it does seem like for the last few episodes they were mentioning Ophelia a lot. And I think at the very least she'll have to be in the first episode of season three just because Ted is, is dead. And yeah. so she'll have to return for that. Like, this, mm. you can't... Well... I mean, she's just she was just such a pivotal character in season one, and I also talked about this already in another episode, but <laughs> I truly believe that the reason Ted was selected as Simon's killer had way less to do with what it would do for the plot of the show to have a security guard slash trusted ally be the one to kill uh, the king and way more about what it meant for the love of Liam's life's father to kill, you know... Uh Simon, the person. Doubly so, yeah. because, one, they do very little with the fact that it was, like, a trusted figure in their lives who killed the king. And two, uh, he was not much of a security guard to begin with, no, to be honest with terrible. you. No, he was terrible. Look, I know both of you have, um, you, at various points through this season, you have you've wondered where all the security guards are and how everyone from the royal family seems to wander around, like you know, unaccompanied and is able to dismiss their security guards at a, like with just a wave of the hand. Uh, but I would like to think that there's actually a wider perimeter that has more security guards that we're just not seeing. And 
you know, they they are safe because there are more security guards. They just, you know, they're just down the road or around the corner or something. Oh, yeah. That was very sweet went... of you to assure us that the <laughs> uh-huh. characters we love so much, they're safe, you guys. They're okay. Yeah, they're all right. Yeah, they're, they're security guards with the crate and barrel about a half a mile over, <laughs> just chilling just out. Just text them when you're done, and they'll meet you at Auntie Anne's pretzels. It's going to be fine. Uh-huh. Yeah. Do you know what? Uh, well, t- I, I did want to quickly bring up a real-life incident, which is um, the Queen, uh, God bless her, um, she actually had someone try to shoot her, uh, this is years ago now, um, and they basically had like a gun that was full, like filled with blanks. And they, she was on a horse, and they tried to shoot her. Um, and the queen just didn't move. She just stood there, looked at them, let them shoot, and then her guards took this person down. And she just kept on trotting along on her horse. <laughs> so uh, you know that's how the real royals uh, handle assassination attempts. They just stand there and look at you, and then uh, wander off because you know they don't really think about the commoner. Um, that is pure Queen Elizabeth. That is <laughs> yeah. a very singular anecdote. Uh, but I'd, I'd like to pivot away from new characters okay. who I think we devoted quite a lot of time to this season, <laughs> sure. kind of pouring over their every absurdity. If you'd like to know more about the Deputy Prime Minister or Liam's obnoxious friends who are brothers or their dad, Stephen Tyler, then you can just go back <laughs> and listen to those episodes. Uh, I'd like to talk about looking at the season as a whole our series regulars who was this a good season for who was this a bad season for uh what you know what happened uh for everybody and where do you think they're going next season i mean do you want to start at the bottom with the the two princesses and then sure i don't think we have to move through any system i I just wanted to talk in in general but uh i do think that we're going to see more of penelope and maribel next season and i do think that moorfield will still around and i do think he's still being shady (laughs) i know zach disagrees with me but i'm pretty confident about that well they they'll probably find a way to drum up some drama from him i feel like at this point they don't have any specific plans for that character and i don't think they did when they wrote those scenes where he confesses his love but i'm sure they'll find some way to drum some drama out of the situation yeah i think it's weird because for the first few episodes obviously you had the whole plastic surgery storyline um which you know is classic soap opera classic kind of ridiculous story um but i feel like once we had the the bandages off i feel like the kind of um the chemistry that was between hattie preston and lydia rose Bewley in the first season was kind of gone did not trend yeah and yeah and I, i think that I don't know if somebody in the you know in the in the writers' room was like, yeah, these two just aren't as good, so let's stop writing for them, or if they just stopped writing for them because they couldn't find anything to do with them. Um, but I think it's a little sad that they didn't get. I mean, at the start of the season, there was kind of too much of them, and then by the end of the season, there was such an afterthought um, where it's like that. Like <laughs> Penelope is essentially the heir to the throne. And yet, literally, no one in that that palace is even thinking about her, and it's just such a weird. Um... Though now, now she's been circumvented. Yeah. At this point in the show, well, but she may be reinstated if they don't get baby <laughs> Simon back. Yeah. So it'd be, I, I I'd be true. nice if they can do something properly with those two, like next year. Because I don't think they had a good season this year. Well, while we're at it, uh, speaking of the girls' baby half-brother, do we think we're going to see Prudence and baby Simon again? Or have those two fully flown the coop? Oh, I think they'll be back. 
the, I assume so yeah, too. Yeah, like you don't call the baby Simon and then not have him <laughs> like come back. It just doesn't like it doesn't make any sense. Um, no, I was just curious yeah. because, I mean, you know, with the Royals, you never know. <laughs> I, for one, am still holding out hope that Gemma, who will be, like, married by the next time we see her if she does come back, uh, will pop her will head return. in and make an appearance. I just need her to say some sassy things, take, like, seven shots in a row, and then leave. <laughs> yeah. Shannon, can I clarify something about your question uh, about who this was a good season for? Do you yeah. mean in terms of entertaining and enjoyable storylines for us, the viewer, or for the character, if they came out at a better place than they were at the beginning? Not for the character, because almost everyone, I think, is either like at a wash in terms of being on top or below, yeah. or they like achieved their goal, unless you're Cyrus. So I think that's pretty clear, and discussing it would be pretty much summing up Redundant. events. What I mean mm -hmm. is, um, who had good storylines that were interesting to watch? Who got like good writing? and good speeches and who got the shaft because I can tell you right now that I feel that Eleanor got the shaft majorly got I the shaft on um, talking about like storylines that were good all of her storylines this season with the, maybe with the exception of her interactions with like James Hill were very bad mm -hmm. and Alexandra was... Park is a great actress but they were trash yes despite the fact that I think yeah Eleanor really got short shrift this season i do think alexandra park remained a highlight performance wise yes. yeah despite being given very little to work with that just goes oh. to show like really what a unique talent what a unique find she is like they give her the most garbage dialogue um so basically to sum up her storylines from this season it was uh trying to get sober with beck having mm -hmm. the disastrous affair with mandy and then yes. the uh, un horribly unfortunate Imogen um, mob sex worker plot line. And then yeah. obviously all the stuff with Jasper throughout. So I would say maybe a bright spot in all of that would be her burgeoning positive relationship with Helena. Like, obviously that only came about because the show decided to bonk Helena over the head with a rock and give her a completely different personality. Sure, sure. But it's still interesting to watch those two actors play off each other. And to go back to what we said earlier about the show trying to play more towards the older demographic and the older characters this season... I mean, Liam had his, like, secret agent stuff going on, but in terms of <laughs> amount of focus on him, they tur much, they turned yeah. focus on him at the very end of the season with all the King Liam stuff that I'm sure will be a plot point next year. Oh, but it's not like last season where Liam's, like, emotional pathos and his relationships were such an intrinsic part of the plot. I mean, he had girlfriends, but he was mostly pushed to the side this year. Oh, the the girlfriend stuff was extremely peripheral. I think a good metaphor for that is the scene where he literally forgets about Wilhelmina because he sees someone related to the murder storyline. I, th I think the only purpose he served was really just to push forward the uh, the King Simon murder storyline. But as a character, that didn't that didn't really deepen him very much, well, I don't think. he and Wilhelmina never even kissed on screen. Like, he truly yeah. did not get a lot of meat with his romantic storylines, whereas last year he was kind of our romantic hero. I feel like yeah. this year they tried to make him more of, like, 
revenge Hamlet. And it would have been so much more interesting if to go along with his, like, darker action plots, he had had, like, a darker emotional life. Like, he was very angsty and thinking about, like, what it means to take a human life. And, you know, like, if he were Hamlet. But no, he kind of was his normal bright and sunny chipper (laughs) self while while, uh, tracking down a murderer. I think even in terms of the Domino storyline, until he met Dominique, which was near the end of the season, he was kind of peripheral in that because most of the actual legwork was done by Jasper who wasn't even on certain episodes this season yeah yeah that is so I feel like I it's Liam did very little for me this season I think it's it's like I think losing uh King Simon and I know why they did it because obviously they wanted to get themselves into the position of having you know Liam you know, seeking whoever killed his father, which obviously, you know, is a big plot point from Hamlet. So I know why they did that, but I think losing him this year was such a gigantic hole, and they tried to fill it with throwing all these different characters in, and it never quite, uh, like, 100% worked, because, you know, you always... Whenever whenever they started saying, oh, it might be Ted, but it might not be, you were like, well, then it's Ted. And they spent literally yeah. five... From the moment they say, oh, well, it's going to be Ted... That was like episode four, and they spent six episodes sort of kind of going, oh, well, it isn't. And then at the end of episode nine, they were just like, oh, yeah, it was. And I don't, and they, I don't, yeah. did they explain why he even killed King Simon? Like, I. No. Uh, basically, no. revenge for his wife revenge dying. Revenge for his wife, yeah. But it was yeah. still, like, so little time was devoted to it. I mean, I felt that the show floundered a little bit without Simon. He was such a grounding presence. Yeah. And I feel like the show did two things to counter that. The first was that whereas before both Helena and Cyrus were antagonists on the same team, they sort of shifted Helena over to the protagonist side. Oh, and you made mean her... hashtag Team Helena and <laughs> hashtag Team Cyrus? <laughs> and made her a grounding presence, which would have been probably more acceptable if not for the fact that the same, at the same exact time this was happening, they had Cyrus's developing relationship with Violet, and he was kind of a more docile version softened. of himself. Yeah, so we kind of lost both our big antagonists at once then on the other side of things i mean i like james hill the character and i like the actor who plays him yeah but did you guys ever feel like it was a little bit insulting how much the show tried to make it like eleanor needs a father figure he's her new daddy now call him daddy call him daddy you know what i mean like that's doubly (laughs) clear because obviously james hill has no similar relationship whatsoever with liam yes yeah, I mean, clearly the thesis statement there is Eleanor needs this, Liam does not. And, of and course, they wouldn't even let her push that, the fucking button at the end. I'm still mad about that. Continue. And, and it's worth saying, I mean, like you said, Liam's romantic life really got pushed to the peripheral in this season. But Eleanor's, like, the the push to get her back together with Jasper for her to have... A man was still pretty front and center for the entire run. I'm just going to say it right now. I don't want it to be the case. And on a previous episode, I kind of like spun out my fantasy version of the Royals where it's like uh, Eleanor as the pro-monarchy, pro-charity person and Liam being like, no, I'm of the people. We should be a republic. But I honestly think that Eleanor's love life will always be the main focus of her storylines. Yeah. It's disappointing because she's capable of more, but I really think for the rest of the show's run, the number one thing going on with Eleanor will always be who she's romantically involved with, and in the end, it will be Jasper. 
I think it's yes. going to be one. No, of, think... It's going to be one of those things where she's going to bounce to other people, and the pull is always going to be when will she be back with Jasper? Exactly. That's literally it's like the uh, whole world. If this want goes it. on for twenty years, that's literally will always be the thing. Is by the end of every season, she will be back with with um, with Jasper because that's that's just or the breaking direction. up do, with him. Yeah, I do think we'll probably get at the beginning of next season. I think they will follow through and at least give us a brief reprieve from jasper probably only a few episodes before some contrivance drives them back together again i don't know he's a did series you, regular did, so did you not see them holding hands in the football stadium yeah. as the thing like like it was the end of fight club where everything was blowing up like the, the... <laughs> it was like in uh bat in the batman movie when that football field or when uh bane blows that football field up and they're <laughs> yeah. like watching yeah <laughs> yeah no maybe, um, maybe it is like fight thinking. club with them holding hands while all the buildings blow up uh i totally said that on the last episode darren i agree with you it seemed <laughs> yeah. like they stole any hope of those characters not being together away from me by having them the last thing we see is a freeze frame of the two of them together as he like <laughs> the bodyguards her through the crowd all that was missing was i will always love you yeah and you, def- you, you know, definitely don't want to look on tumblr for anything that contains the words jelena because it's like the <laughs> amount of the amount of fandom out there for that couple is insane i am absolutely breaking the no research rule to look all well, that up. I am going, I'm going to kind of spit off something you said a few minutes ago about uh, how they softened Cyrus at the same time they softened Helena and left us without a clear sort of driving conflict or antagonist for a while. The weird decision about that is the bulk of when Cyrus was softened, which was the worst part of his season, yeah. uh, the parts before and after that were Great. at least classic Cyrus that were yeah. very juicy and cheesy and, and fun. Probably the best stuff is, of the season. Yeah. But the weird thing about that is they chose to soften him during a time when the murderer of Simon was still ambiguous, so Ted couldn't fill that role at the time. So it was left mainly on Domino, which we've already established is such a nothing. <laughs> like... It's it's hard to take seriously as a threat and and is so dull and and feels like the whole season feels like something that was written during, you know, when they wrote those seasons during the writer's strike a few years ago. <laughs> I know what you're yeah. saying. That's kind of how the yeah, it felt yeah. like that to me. Like they got to a but, second they got yeah, to a second draft and then they had to go on strike and no one was on set to actually rewrite stuff one more time when tyra and landry murder a guy on season two of friday night lights and then the writer's strike happens (laughs) so just nothing ever comes of it like these two high schoolers Mm -hmm. murder a man and throw his body into a river and then just like nothing happens yeah oh yeah i told that was a digression but yeah i it does feel that way and i think that they need the most important thing the show can do going forward to be good and by good i mean entertaining because that's what i'm looking for from the royals is to really decide who cyrus and helena are and probably pit them against each other if they're not going to do the whole claudius and gertrude marriage thing yeah and then just like stick with that the good news is it looks like that's where it's going like obviously king simon in the first season was like the soft and helena and cyrus were the hard like rubbing up against him and then for this season, you had Helena going soft, although still being able to notice that her her daughter has an eating disorder as a as a hilarious remark. <laughs> um, and then you also had Cyrus going soft. And it's like, well, 
who, well, there's no hard. It's all just like a mush now, and just doesn't make any sense. Yeah. But I think they kind of firmly yeah. es- they firmly established with the whole um, fake wedding, <laughs> baby stealing kind of in the finale that obviously Helena has kind of like outwitted Cyrus that way. So now Cyrus is on the defensive, and that means he's going to be coming after her. And I think that will be interesting for season three if that is how they're going it to maintain uh, it. You know. Well. That's actually an, a strong choice. I think yeah. what they should have done all along from the show's inception would be to have Helena be very loyal to and protective of her children and kind of like, I'm a bitch to everyone else, fuck everyone else. That's a really interesting character choice. But the problem was, in season one, she was so monstrous to her children. She was. Yeah. She cared only about the crown itself and not... And not her family. And I think, yeah, um, I think, so I can see them moving forward with that. I just wish they'd done it all along. Well, if the end, if at the end of season one, after Simon had died, if they'd had her make that change then. So if in the first season finale, she had softened up at that point, then it would have made sense going into season two that she'd already softened up and we already knew why. And, and then that would set her up against Cyrus. But because that she was still kind of being like you know no one can see me cry in public and all that kind of stuff it kind of it was it was like well it took a few episodes before she actually started to soften up and it felt like they'd missed a chance there like they kind of have waited a bit too long and then it didn't make any sense that she was suddenly being nice to people um well i i will say briefly that um one i think that they, another character that I think they kind of uh, tried to erase the sins of in a big way, obviously, was Jasper, even though we never forgot them, obviously, on this show. <laughs> yeah. Um, I think that character, while being more demure this season, was probably even more dull because he went from being occasionally a terminator in certain scenes and then the rest of the time he just kind of moped around like a little sad sack and that wasn't particularly fun either so for entertainment value i think he actually i mean i i don't know i never liked jasper in the first season it's very hamlet of him but other than that yeah Yeah. (laughs) i uh, i guess Dutchie remained fun, and Ted is probably slightly more entertaining as a villain, even though he was never a particularly great character. They could have done so much with that Ted stuff, because I think that actor was good. Like, in his moments with Liam, where he went full psycho, and, like, his eyes were unfocused, and his, (laughs) like, mouth was hanging slack, he looked totally scary. It would have been, of course, about a billion times more interesting if they had given us any info about like more his thought process of why mm-hmm. King Simon was the one to blame for his wife's death, how Robert played into that, um, all that jazz. You would think if it were like a one for one, like, oh, my wife died, so I'll kill Robert to take someone away from King Simon, he would have gone with Simon's wife, you know? Like, you take well, my wife, I take yours, but he, their he relationship known, was already yeah, yeah, on the that rocks. That they were not on the best terms. Yeah. Um, um, well, uh, then just one more big topic to discuss today, because um, I think we already talked a lot about the ones we didn't like, including <laughs> all of Eleanor's love interest plot lines, the Domino stuff, and Violet and Cyrus's relationship. Mm-hmm. What do you think were some standout storylines or parts of storylines of season two? 
I mean, I, do you know, I think, um, I mean, you mentioned this a few times, and although she was briefly in it and wasted, I think Wilhelmina just, like, um, not taking any shit from anyone was always fun, the way yeah. she just walked in and would <laughs> pile up food on her plate and wander off. Like, I think she was entertaining. Um, and, I, you know, I always enjoyed all the stuff with Hill. I think it is a bit condescending to basically, you know, the two positions that they've got, um, Eleanor in are she will always go back to um, Jasper which is a terrible thing but also she will always mm-hmm. need you know a, a, an older man telling her what she needs to do with her life and like the first storyline I'm not particularly I don't really think is a good way to go but you know that's what they're going to do and the fans who aren't us seem to love it but the other one it never comes to anything and it always like as much as I mean, I know we're meant to be saying stuff we like, but I like all the stuff with Hill, despite the fact that it's in a storyline that I I hate them doing on this show. Yeah, he's I mean, a good character yeah. filling a a not great role. You can, or you can yeah. like things about a storyline without being like one hundred percent for <laughs> yeah. it. I guess maybe a better way I should have put this would be like. Uh, when you think about season two, what are going to be those standout storylines? What are going to be the ones that are well, memorable, I'll, the ones that you feel like actually shaped what the show was this season? Yeah, I I think Hill's, like her guessing what why Hill had left and it being revealed that it was because uh, he'd lost his daughter, if I remember correctly. No, he, he his brother and his, his brother, sister-in-law yeah, his, were killed in a car crash. That's it, yeah. He adopted he was after, his infant niece yeah, as his daughter. Yeah. I think, like, all that stuff was quite nicely done and, like, kind of well... Like, they built it up as this gag of her guessing stuff and then it turned out to be this touching storyline. And I think some of the stuff that they did... Except they took it way too far when they said that his daughter (laughs) saw them on TV and was like, you should help them, Daddy! Yeah, well, yeah, but, you know, it's a soap, so, you know, that's that's what you expect. Um, But, yeah, so, like, I, I, I enjoyed the stuff with Hill. I thought that was really good. And as much as, like, Liam was kind of wishy-washy, I think him trying to find his father's killer, you know, was... I mean, it was poorly handled, but it was still a highlight in some episodes, like when him and Jasper are just pointing guns at people and beating people up. Some of, Like, some of that I enjoyed. I think... I think the show could do something really, really interesting next season if they give Liam and Eleanor interesting relationships with Robert and with Robert coming back. Like, I actually think it would be a strong choice to kind of create conflict by having, like, Eleanor just being, you know, based on her relationship with Robert, what we know about it, being pretty much 100% overjoyed that he's back, like, letting that be her complete focus but if Liam and his brother got along but maybe Liam has some feelings about being pushed out of the spotlight I mean I'm not saying he has to go full Cyrus and be like you know (laughs) the vengeful second brother but it would be really interesting if he did start to feel like maybe I do have a little bit in common with Cyrus Robert's always been the golden son the show has made that very clear now all of a sudden he's back and Liam isn't maybe hashtag King Liam anymore that would be fascinating will the show go there it would be interesting because they've they've opened up the tomb of Simon so obviously they're planning on establishing that the twins are actually his kids again. Otherwise, yeah. otherwise, there's no point in opening up that too. Like that just seems like if it's just to open it up and go, oh no, then they're really not his kids. That would be a complete waste of that entire little Unless moment. they figure out that Robert is Alistair's son, so that they're split. Like the twins are Simon's children and Robert isn't. Yeah, um, 
and I don't want to intrude reality onto onto this show, but um, when it comes to marrying the heir of England, uh, they're very very careful about uh, the potential queen's virginity. So um, in real life, Diana had to. Uh... And I know this is probably not something you you probably wouldn't want to know, but when Diana married Charles, they were very careful to make sure that she, there was no way any children she had were not his. So actually, Robert being Simon's son would be more guaranteed than the twins being his his kids. I'm just spitballing. I mean, we all know this show doesn't play by logic. Um, yeah, no, I was going to say that's probably not going to influence anything in the show. But, um, yeah, I, I think it'd be interesting if there's a... Obviously, you know, Liam goes from being... You know, they establish him as Simon's kid. He goes from being, you know, the heir to being the spare again. That would be an interesting story. So, um, uh, well, for me, I guess... <laughs> The most, the character who is a semi-regular, who is the most consistently enjoyable was probably Dutchie. Yes. Um, so, Absolutely. and I think that she has potential next season because I think there's a way in which they could wrestle with the fact that she's their family and the fact that she is guilty of a murder. I think that could create an interesting <laughs> dynamic in the family where they feel like they have to protect her, but at the same time don't want to. Um, that might make the Domino story actually somewhat so, uh, interesting because it could create conflict on that front within the family itself. But um, are you assuming? Yeah. Are you assuming that Domino don't release? They went to the trouble of cutting that wonderful video together. Are you assuming they did? They no, I I don't think they will. You I think they had one copy it. and they gave it to Ted. Ah, I think they had one copy and they gave it to Ted because the show has shown that they have no idea how to use the internet beyond um, <laughs> Liam watching a vine of Ophelia almost kissing Nick at a silent fucking disco. You know no, what I mean? Yeah. Um, so I don't think that's going to, I don't think that's going to come back into play in a they big way, to be honest with you. If they were going to release they, it online, they would have released it online last episode. Um, I think that obviously with Cyrus, was it with Violet? He's always interesting in those situations. But when I think about this season, the thing I'm going to think about is the go nowhere, do nothing domino storyline. That's yeah. going to be the thing I think about more than anything. You know what I think of this season? It was really the season. I wish I could say it was the season of Cyrus, but at least in the back half, I think this was the season of Helena. This was the season they really decided to kind of put all their eggs in that basket and shape her into maybe the character she's going to be for the rest of the show. So uh, that's what I think. I mean, just to wrap things up um, before well, we move on, me... before we move on to uh, season three predictions, mm -hmm. uh, I was wondering. I mean, I don't think it's as black and white as just one season is better, one season is worse. I think there are no. things each season did better, but um, comparisons between season one and season two, things that, that were actually, better in one or the other? Exactly what I was going to ask. Uh -huh. um, <laughs> that suggests that neither of you have an answer and you want the other to answer first. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> no, I think, we I think on never the whole, do that, Doug. <laughs> I'll confess that I think on the whole, maybe I think season one was at least more exciting and 
at points fun than this season was. Um, I think there was a lot more... I think there was a lot more continued and underlying gross sexual politics in season one, although season two had that ninth episode where mm-hmm. it was probably heavier than at any point in the show's history. Yeah, I mean, the suggestion of, you know, gang sexual rape slavery, and slavery yeah. Yeah, is about as far as it's ever gone, thank God. Yeah, uh, and hopefully ever does. <sighs> yeah. But, like... There's a lot, aside from the twins' birthday party, the thing that I missed the most this season were episodes that felt fun, like when they went on vacation and Ashok got shot, or the masquerade ball, or the garden party. Yeah, you know, we used to joke about there being an event every episode, but now I kind of miss those events. Mm -hmm. I was going to say, season one did seem a bit more um, kind of like a procedural, where there was like an event of the week, and it's like, here's what they're doing each week, whereas the second season i think once you've killed the king though you've set a tone that they they couldn't keep the same level of um you know family events every week because it just wouldn't fit with the fact that the king was killed and the killer was still at large like that's something that kind of hung over and you know the fact that they tried to did have it, um, though? did it because Besides for Liam, it seemed like every other character forgot about Simon's murder. I wish it had hung more over this season, but I, I don't re- I don't really feel that it did. I mean in terms of like um as a viewer, like it's something that you would you would be thinking about which I think meant that the show couldn't be as fun because they killed a character in the first season. Yeah. And it's no, kind of, that's true. You know, and so as you're well, watching Well, they did kill a character Prior to the first episode as well, a member of their immediate family was killed. I know they didn't think it was a murder at the time, but it was still a death that they got over, I'd say, pretty quickly. Yeah, but because it wasn't, I mean, I guess there's slightly a difference between a prince dying and a king dying. So I think that's probably why they kind of... And also, like, a lot of the first season was about Prince Liam being the, the heir rather than, you know, like his previous position. So... I think they were kind of exploring that, which felt a bit more fun because it was like he has to take on the duties that Robert would have done, you know. Uh, and so they kind of they did that in the first season, whereas in the second season, it's like, well, Cyrus is king and he doesn't want the he doesn't want anyone else to get near the throne. So I don't know. It just that's the other thing. Yeah. The first season, the conflict that was there just felt more focused and more clear. Like the motivations of the characters were more consistent. And it was a tighter ensemble too, because we have not seen like barely any scenes in the second season with the whole family together. Whereas in season one, it would not be outrageous for them to have dinner together or for them to all drink alcohol loudly in the same room while sneering (laughs) at each other. You know, these are the quality family times that I miss. Yeah. Mm Mm-hmm. But I think that I like when I recommended the first season to people, it wasn't so much about the show being absurd and ridiculous and stupid as it was about like, this isn't prestige TV, but it's really fun and it's so it's totally bingeable. Whereas with the second season, I feel like it's been a little bit more like good, bad in terms of truly absurd and ridiculous ridiculously unbelievably stupid things have happened sure. but it um even though it's still beautifully shot and really well acted at times like it didn't have as much stuff that made me actually care about the characters 
Mm-hmm. And I, I think we spent a lot more time in the second season talking about individual moments or lines that were just off the wall goofy yeah. and made us stop and talk about them like the gong or the ridiculous exchange between Dominique and Liam that was so weirdly written. <laughs> Stuff like that really stood out a lot more. I mean, also, I think the show had a habit of like, you know, Beck was in for a couple of episodes, then he was gone. Then Nick and Ophelia came back for one episode, then they were gone. Then Alistair Lacey was was meant to be dead, but he was back and then he was gone. And it's like, and he didn't need to be. He could have just been. Dead. Yeah. And, and I think there was just too much. Art. Like even like the Mandy storyline, like Mandy's brought in and you're like, oh, well, she knows Jasper and all this kind of stuff. And you're thinking, oh, well, maybe they'll do something with Jasper. And then it's just like, oh, she was just here to steal a diamond. She's gone. And it's just like, yeah, there was a lot of in the first season. There were a lot of characters that kind of hung around for five or six episodes in a row, even if you weren't particularly keen on them. But at least there was a kind of consistency. Whereas the second season, it's mm-hmm. felt very kind of, um, you know, like um, when Jesse returned and it was like, <laughs> there was like a two episode gap and everything had changed like in the space of those two that's, episodes. That's, uh, that's why I had such a hard time answering Shannon's question about storylines is because they felt so uneven and it felt like a new storyline began for every character every two or three episodes. Yeah. yeah so it's things, hard to trace it for the entire season. Things didn't really like build up and pay off. I mean, I use her as an example a lot because I love her, but like Gemma is a great example of a small character in the first season who wasn't really tied to the main storyline anyway but you still felt like her moments paid off because we saw her like six episodes in a row culminating in her being left alone in monaco and having that moment by the (laughs) pool with eleanor no i'm not i'm completely serious like not even as a joke this really lovely scene where she says you know do you ever think about what it would be like to be the girl, like not just the girl Mm -hmm. who the guy wants to sleep with, like the one he actually wants to be with. And then Eleanor leaves her. And I think the last time we see her is her sitting alone and listening to Ophelia and Liam, um, like getting together in the room above her. So, you know, even though it didn't necessarily have anything to do with like the Royals intrigue, it still felt satisfying because she was a fully realized character. And I think I would just like to see a return to that in season three, I hope. Yeah. Whereas like sure. you don't know what Holden and Ivan's aims are other than to fuck with Liam hit now and again. Like, why are they there? Because then I mean I understand that sometimes these shows seem a little empty if people don't have like a circle of friends. But like he didn't he didn't need those two friends just like doing stuff with him like yeah i mean i guess they were just there to to be a respite from his yeah. like revenge quest and so he could have moments that were fun instead of just dour and yeah i don't know I f- if he had had a like a more either more believable or more fleshed out friendship with jasper they would have been even mm-hmm. less necessary too. like keep True. it to the main cast because i think that a like male to male friendship is something that can be really valuable to a show. I was discussing the differences between the OC and Gossip Girl, which are actually shows that are a lot like the Royals and are kind of <laughs> forerunners to the Royals in a lot of ways. They're both created by Josh Schwartz. And um, 
in the OC, which came first, there's a really strong male-to-male friendship between Ryan Atwood and Seth Cohen. And then in Gossip Girl, which came about a few years later, there's no male friendship. There's just the female friendships. And we were talking about how, oh, the OC, like, really benefits from having this male-to-male friendship. So I'm not opposed to the idea of Liam and Jasper being friends, although I complained about it a lot this season. It's just that it was like they were friends because of circumstance, you know? They didn't have any actual personality attributes that seem to draw them to each other. Yeah. And I think the weird thing is, like, you can go through the whole season and, like, uh, Hill, who is supposed to be, like, um, Eleanor's head bodyguard, like, basically has absolutely nothing to do with Liam. And it's like, that that just doesn't seem like that would be a realistic situation. Like, it doesn't, it doesn't have to, like, sit down and have dinner with him or anything, but at the very least, there should have been some exchanges... Because otherwise, that's that that kind of creates the feel that all these characters are just around in their own little universes. And I know a palace is a huge place, but still, they would surely run into each other at some point. They would know each other in some way. Yeah, no, well, yes. everyone is so disconnected. That's what yeah. it all goes mm-hmm. back to. Pretty much all our complaints about this season. <laughs> yeah, but yeah. you know, we got the um, most exciting final shot of the season uh, in the last kind of like minute of the final episode, which. Uh, at the very least, it made me feel happy about the whole season, just seeing that one last little shot. Because I, oh, I was like... so satisfying. <laughs> and, um... Well, let's let's talk about what we ha- think will uh, happen in season three. That seems as good a transition as any. <laughs> uh, thoughts? Predictions of what will happen? Things you think were being set up in season two? Well, I think it's, I think it's funny that, obviously, when... When when we did the pilot and there was no photos for Robert or anything like that, we were super suspicious back then anyway. So they've kind of just spent 20 episodes getting ready to confirm our suspicions that, you know, the reason there yeah. were no photos is because they were waiting to cast someone as Robert and have him be alive. But I still wish we knew more about him. You know, we know about what he did. But we don't know anything about who he was other than that he and... Eleanor were close, and apparently he, he and perfect. his mom weren't. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Yes. Uh, so I think it's it's really interesting that he's coming back, and I'm glad. But so much of talking about this show feels like talking about wasted potential because it could mm-hmm. be even that much more of a big punch if we felt like Robert was a character we had some sort and, of a hold the, on. The other thing is, I. I... I just feel like talking about predictions for this show seems weird because it is weirdly unpredictable. Like when they introduced (laughs) the domino storyline in season one, like at the end, they showed whatever the domino symbol. They showed a banner. They showed people in the crowd putting up a huge, gigantic banner as though that was a crowd Um, of Domino's followers. And it turns out they probably just bung them people 20 quid to hold the barrier up for a couple of seconds. (laughs) Oh, they were prob- probably the two people in Domino were in the crowd <laughs> on either end of the banner. Yeah. But, but I would have expected that to go somewhere wildly different, and it turned out to be essentially nothing. And almost every other aspect of the season felt barely fleshed. I mean, I guess they had prudence with the baby, mm-hmm. which was ignored for the vast majority of season two until the very end, basically, when they brought it back in a pretty obvious way. I don't know how. I just, it's making predictions about this show seems so futile to me. I know, in a weird way. I know. I'm just saying, if uh, maybe not predictions so much as like if you were to, you know, 
come up with a storyline for next season. I would say bring Ophelia back because the fact that her father killed the king and presumably was killed himself (laughs) is an interesting point of contention between that character and Liam. I think dealing going forward, I think that Making the family choose between Domino and Duchy could be an interesting storyline. Yeah. I because think it would draw rifts in the family itself. Exactly. Well, that's going off my next point. I think for conflicts in families to really be as interesting as they can be, there has to be at least some sort of like relationship that we're actually invested in within the family that has to be threatened or challenged and let's be honest the only henstridge relationship that's even close to strong is between liam and eleanor their Mm -hmm. sibling bond so i think my uh prediction if you want to call it for next season i think it's just something that needs to happen to set up conflict is for there to be some sort of ideological conflict that sets up a rift between the, the twins even though they have the same values and they have the same opinions about a lot of things. I think the most interesting choice is for them to split over something like Domino and Duchy. And I think it works well because theoretically Liam is going to be with Dominique Jr., which may garner him sympathy for that side. Meanwhile, Duchy has given her gifts and treated her like a princess for her entire life. (laughs) It seems not too unreasonable that maybe they would have a difference of ideology on that particular point. Or Helena could not want to turn Duchy in and Eleanor could side with her mother if they keep this going. Like... I honestly, I think that, I think Eleanor needs to get better. I think that the whole like drinking and drug shtick is getting old as a character and as a human being. And it's ridiculous that like she's not getting better, even though the show says that she's smart and she's strong and she's like emotionally capable. So it's very strange. Yeah, if you get her in conflict with other major characters like that, instead of just having her focus on whatever guy she's going to be dating or her father figure or whatever, it gives her the chance to exercise her own agency against other major characters in the show and kind of stand on her own terms. Something she really needs to do. But if I were a writer for the Royals, which (laughs) I'm not, I swear I'm not, I swear, I swear I'm not, um, I would have uh, Helena and Eleanor continue to grow closer. Helena would become a aware of like how truly sick her daughter is is an addict and then Helena would feel motivated to help Eleanor get sober but she would be afraid of accidentally pissing off Eleanor because she would value their newfound closeness and she wouldn't want to cast herself as the enemy in her daughter's life so soon so she would feel some internal conflict there it would create conflict between the two of them but it would still be conflict we'd be invested in because the character's relationship would actually mean something to us. That's what I'd yeah. like to see. Uh, again, I don't know that that will happen. It's just pure conjecture. But one way or another, and hopefully not involving fucking Beck, uh, <laughs> Eleanor needs to, if not get sober, like we need to put the whole wild drug addict, sex addict storyline behind us. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I think the, th- the thing is, um, like Robert coming back, um, he like him being the heir when Simon died means that essentially Cyrus w- shouldn't be king anymore. Um, like uh, I know that in a couple of episodes you've wondered out aloud about the constitution of this country, and um, <laughs> we we don't have a written constitution in any form. So everything that happens in this country is merely done by tradition. 
So the I, so the idea that like an heir would return and find someone else is on the throne, that is the kind of thing that causes like civil wars in this country. Um, you know, there was a time when um, we were not just one kingdom; we were actually a number of separate little tiny kingdoms. And we had like ongoing wars between, as I'm sure everyone is familiar, like the War of the Roses, that kind of thing. We had yeah. wars between families, essentially, um, warring to become the, the kind of the, the throne. And I think if they wanted to go in that direction, which would be a Shakespearean thing to do and have, um, you know, Robert returning and wanting to pit himself against Cyrus and remove Cyrus from the throne... And if that were in some way to kind of break the family apart or uh, that would be an interesting storyline. Uh, obviously, they'd have to then also um, f figure out what the hell Robert Hentridge is, because so far he's just been a name on a helmet and an empty casket, apparently. So, yeah, um, I think that's all intentional, though. They've kept him as nebulous as possible yeah. so that they can do whatever they want with him when they break him out of their back pocket. Yeah. But st I still, I think, yeah. I think maybe an episode like if the if the if the third season premiere, let's let's say they were to take a, a kind of a page from prestige drama. If the first season premiere was literally just what Robert has been doing for the last, you know, four, five, six, seven months, two years, however long this show has been going on, uh, and if they could just like kind of <laughs> we don't know, <laughs> yeah, if they could just show that just for one episode, just have him by himself. You know, with a gigantic beard yeah. on a yeah. desert. Well, we even we even suggested this much. Yeah. I think in the last episode. And yeah. just ha well, and ha just have the entire premiere just be about him, and then but have the final moments be him returning to England. And then that would set the season up like in like in a way that would be kind of interesting. Um, though you know they've also got to deal with the death of Ted. Like there's stuff that's hanging that's that's, but... that's hanging on from season two that they've got to deal with. Um, I think nothing could be more essential to next season than Robert turning out to be a strong character in yeah. one way or another. Yeah. Because he has, he's going to be the one to set up Cyrus being a big bad again. You know, if Robert yeah. tries to assert his claim to the throne, and he should, that gives Cyrus finally um, a chance to, you know, be the villain, to feel his power threatened, to feel like he has something he has to protect, to lash out. That would motivate him to find prince simon the baby because he would need even more like feeling of security in his role as king i mean that pretty much sets up everything for next season so i yeah. just hope that robert is a strong or interesting character in one way or another or at least that he has good chemistry with the actor who plays <laughs> cyrus uh who's yeah. great with almost everyone so that's a start uh yes but i would like to see cyrus kind of roar back full force next season and I and really think that the end of season yeah. two seemed to imply that that would be the case. Yes. Uh, well, I think that pretty much wraps up our wrap up. I can't believe that we have now seen and discussed every episode of the show, plus mm -hmm. our two bonus episodes. We will be back in the fall with new episodes when the show comes back to air. Until then, we have no new episodes of the show to watch. So we will be putting out no new episodes of the podcast. Um, I mean, never rule anything out. Maybe we'll have a, a little bonus or something between then or between now and then. Sure. Um, 
but before we close out, uh, let's start with Darren. Do you have anything to plug? I do, fortunately. Um, I am producing another podcast. I know, I just can't stop. Uh, which is <laughs> which is a minute-by-minute minute, um, podcast about Clueless called As If, um, which Shannon was the guest for episodes one and two. Um, and hey. I'm hoping she'll return for a few more episodes. Uh, before the whole I'm thing. going to yeah. I yeah before the whole oh, thing absolutely. is over and um, you know that I'm I'm going to be hosting I think overall uh, like 25 episodes or something of that so I guess I can call it my show but for the meantime there are other uh, great oh, great people Darren, who are hosting please um, you know you're editing it you're putting it together well, yeah. claim <laughs> yeah. it stake your flag I come know. on i know um I, I i guess if people aren't hearing my voice i have a hard time claiming something as mine but yeah i am <laughs> i am editing all of those episodes um so yeah so you know if you enjoy clueless or even if you don't enjoy clueless if you just enjoy a bunch of strangers talking about a film minute by minute um mm. then you know you could you could listen to that uh, or you could listen to either of the previous podcasts which I have produced about other films minute by minute, uh, both of which Zach and Shannon have been guests on, which were called uh, A Talking Cast and The Cast Next Door. Yes, I would especially recommend my episode of The Cast Next Door with fellow guest Natalie Walker, which was one for the <laughs> books. We were both yeah. extremely hungover while recording, and it ended up being really funny all the same. Yeah. Uh, Zach, you have another podcast. Why don't you yeah, tell us about uh, it for I one? never mentioned that has been going longer than this one, in fact. Um, it's called The Revisionists. I co-host with previous guest on this podcast, Brian Flynn. The essential premise is that Brian and I and another person, often a comedian from around the town, come in uh, and discuss a topic from history such as the fall of Rome or most recently we discussed Thomas Jefferson. One person gives the actual history of that person or event. The other person gives a crazy mixed up weird alternate history that has weird dark gods or cyborgs or something and event essentially the listener gets to vote on which becomes the accepted canon within the realm of our podcast and going forward we have to assume that that is the truth so uh that's that's the premise in a nutshell uh you can find it on itunes the revisionists uh every other saturday and you can catch me on the latest episode of Sophomore Lit with John McCoy. I'm discussing Shirley Jackson's The Lottery and Flannery O'Connor's A Good Man is Hard to Find with Loose Cannon's Caroline Fulford. And that is a podcast on the Incomparable Network, and you can also find it on iTunes. Uh, well, Darren, thank you so much for joining us. It was really great to have you back. My pleasure. Um, I'm hoping. I mean, I'm hoping, you're always there. <laughs> I'm hoping in the wings. I'm hoping that E renew this show before season three comes back, and they're like, "Yeah, we're having it for the next ten years." Um. <laughs> <laughs> oh no, Zach and I fidget nervously <laughs> in our seats. We tug at our collars. Oh, no promises. Yeah. Uh, no, just kidding. I I don't know what will happen after yeah. season three, but <laughs> I feel in my bones that it's not going yeah. to be the end. Time will tell. Yeah, so yeah better I, not jinx anything. I look forward to at least returning at some point in season three then, uh, whenever that Oh, happens. without a doubt. it's. I think it's a standing tradition <laughs> at this point. It's not a season of Stage of Fools until we have a Darren Husted guest spot. Mm-hmm. But, you know. Well, thank you so much uh, to everybody who's listened uh, so far. And 
And since we're going on hiatus, everybody who's been a guest, thanks once yes, again. Absolutely. And to Josh Hollis guests. for our beautiful cover work, our artwork uh, as well. And thanks to Zach for agreeing <laughs> to do this thing with me when I told uh, Darren, you know, I just cannot host it by myself. Ooh, well, appreciate it. Thanks for, <laughs> thanks for having me, I suppose. Aww, all right. Uh, virtual group hug. I've been mm-hmm. Shannon Camp. I have been Zach Powers. And I'm Darren Husted. Thanks so much. Bye. 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 Thanks. Visit Stage of Fools on our Twitter at Stage of Fools Pod or on our Facebook page, Stage of Fools. The Royals is property of E. Stage of Fools is produced by Darren Husted, artwork by Joshua Hollis.